0: James chapter 2, today we're focusing on verses 5 through 13. If you recall, two weeks ago we started James chapter 2 looking at verses 1 through 4, and the title of that sermon was The Sin of Partiality, Part 1. Well, today we get to Part 2 looking at verses 5 through 13. James, second chapter, verses 5 through 13, The Sin of Partiality, Part two. Please be sure and use your bulletin. On the back of the bulletin there's an outline that Lord willing will help you walk through the sermon with me. But if you're able, please stand and honor the reading of God's holy word. Listen, my beloved brothers. Has God has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? which he has promised to those who love him, but you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Pray with me, please. Lord, as we come before your word, we ask that you remove every distraction from from our minds, our hearts, physically in the room today, that we might focus upon the preaching of your word. Holy Spirit, speak to us through the preaching, we pray. We ask You to work Your Word in our hearts and our minds and plant it. Father, may we grow in it. I pray that we would worship You today, and that if there's one here who doesn't know Christ, may they come to know Him. May believers be encouraged and challenged today. We specifically ask that as we deal with this specific issue of partiality, that You would indeed teach us to love our neighbor as ourselves. It's in Jesus' name we all pray. And God's people said... Amen. Please be seated. Friends, one of the main overarching principles that we learn from the Bible as believers is to be Christ-like, to be Christ-like. That If we know Jesus Christ as Savior, He's also our Lord and He teaches us in life to be Christ-like. In fact, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, Let the mind of Christ be in you. In Romans chapter 8, the apostle Paul writes that we should be conformed to the image of Christ. Simply put, we are to be Christ-like. You know, two weeks ago we began this study of chapter 2. And we began looking at what the Bible calls partiality. And we learned two weeks ago from the Old Testament and from the New Testament that simply God does not play favorites. God is not partial. And we learned this, that because Jesus is our Lord, that means He's the one who sits on the throne of our hearts. He's in control of our lives. He's our master. That we too are not to play favorites. We are not to be partial and in doing so we're Christ-like because Christ is not partial. However, the problem for us and for those in this text today is that many of the Christians that James was writing to, they were playing favorites. They were being partial. They were making the same mistake that Samuel made in 1 Samuel 16. Do you remember that from a couple weeks ago? Samuel went to anoint the son of Jesse to be the king. And the first one he saw, Eliab, the oldest, he thought, this is the Lord's anointed. But how did he make that decision, that judgment? By outward appearance alone. And God told him, God doesn't look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. Samuel made a mistake, the mistake of partiality based on outward appearances And James is telling us today, just like God told Samuel years before, that is not consistent with a Christ-like life. But what's so pastoral about this is the way James addresses the issue. Did you notice that he does this in a spirit of love? He calls them beloved brothers. He brings them in and has a very pastoral conversation with them as he confronts the sin of partiality. Friends, I want you to know one of the roles of the pastor is to patiently confront the issue of sin because God desires that we all live holy lives before him, that we be Christ-like. And you can clearly see in this text, that's James' desire, that's his heart. He wants these Christians to be sanctified, to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, to be holy as God is holy. And in doing so, he addresses this issue of partiality again today. And he has four main points. If you have your bulletin, look at the back as I read these off. The four main points James makes today about partiality. He says partiality, first of all, is incompatible with God. Secondly, it's unloving towards others. Thirdly, partiality breaks the whole law of God. And then finally, partiality is unmerciful. Let's look at that first point today. Look back with me at verses 5 through 7. Partiality is incompatible with God. Here's what the text says. Listen, my beloved brothers, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? which he has promised to give those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the the honorable name by which you were called? Friends, partiality is incompatible with God. Let me start with a story. About 10 years ago, I was up in East Tennessee visiting my dad. And uh, he was cleaning out the office in his, in his home. Uh, he had just got a new computer and, uh, and a new printer. And he was cleaning out his office, and, and I looked on his desk, and he had packed up his old printer. Well, at my house, I had just gotten a new computer, but I needed a printer. So I said, hey, Dad, if you're going to get rid of this printer, do you mind if if I have it? If you're getting rid of it, you don't need it. He said, sure, son, take the printer. You can have that, no problem. I thought, great, my problem is solved. I'm going to get a printer. So I take the printer home. And by the way, I don't know much about technology, first of all. Let me just preface with that. So I also have a new computer, and I have my dad's old printer, you can probably see where I'm going with this, and I'm trying to take the old printer and hook it up to the new computer, but for some reason I can't find any of the, the software to download that will make this printer uh, speak to this computer. And I tried, and I tried, and I tried, and it finally dawned on me that technology doesn't exist. You know why? Because this c- printer is so old and this computer is so new that they're incompatible that this printer will never work with this operating system. They are incompatible. What's the definition of incompatible? It's two things that are opposed in character, that they are incapable of existing and functioning together. Friends, my dad's printer was incapable of functioning with my computer's operating system. This item doesn't work in this system. Well, friends, we learned two weeks ago a lot about the system of the Christian life. We learned a lot about the operating system of the Christian life. And the Bible teaches us that Jesus is Lord of that system. If you'll recall, verse 1 of chapter 2 mentions not once but twice the Lordship of Christ. That he is the one who sits on the throne of our hearts. He is master. He is Lord. And the Bible teaches us within the system of the lordship of Christ, there's some things that work in that system. But there's other things that do not. There are certain things that are incompatible with the lordship of Christ. James gave us an illustration of this just a few verses early. If, earlier. If you have your Bibles out Look back with me. This is the text we read two weeks ago, verses 2, 3, and 4. Look at it with me. It says, an example, For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or you sit at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves? And become judges with evil thoughts. You see the situation in the assembly. Two people come in. One comes in. He looks like he's got it all together. Wearing fine clothes, wearing rings. People run up to this man and say, hey, I'm glad you're here. Here's a nice seat for you. Why don't you sit here? You can hear well. You can see well. You sit here. But then the poor man comes in. He doesn't look well. Probably doesn't smell well. He's struggling. And in that same assembly, people say to this man, oh, you sit not in this chair, not even on the footstool, you sit on the floor. You sit on the floor next to the footstool where people are propping up their feet. That's the situation. That's the example that James describes in this text. What is James saying? This is partiality. Treating one person one way and another person in a different way based on outward appearances. And what the text is teaching us today is this. If Jesus Christ is your Lord, if you are under the rule and the reign of Christ to act this way towards one man and this way towards another man based on outward appearances, that's incompatible with God. It's incompatible with the Lordship of Christ. These are two things that are so opposed in character that they are incapable of existing or functioning together. Friends, I want you to know in the same way my dad's printer was incompatible with my operating system, partiality in any of our lives is incompatible with the Lordship of Jesus in our lives. And James is doing his best to tell these believers, listen, these were people who knew Christ as Savior. He's, he's ministering to them. He's confronting them. And he's saying to them, do you not see how you're playing favorites and being partial? Don't you see that that playing favorites based on looks or based on money is, is incompatible with God? Because it's incompatible. That's not the way God treats them. That's not the way God looks at them. What you're doing is incompatible with the lordship of Christ. Friends, when we look at the Old Testament and we find verses that teach us about God's view, even of the poor, here's what we find in Psalm 68. It says, in your goodness, O God, you provided for the needy. In Psalm 9, it says, For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. And in Proverbs 17, let this one hit home. Whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. You reach back into James chapter 2. You see this example of the way you treat a rich man and the way you treat a poor man. And what the Bible is saying, if you do this to the poor man, if you do this based on the way he looks, the Bible says you're insulting God. You're not just insulting him, you're insulting his maker. And that should make every one of us take a step back and say, is my life, or the things that I'm doing in my life and the way I treat people, is that compatible with the Lordship of Jesus, or is it incompatible? Because God doesn't treat people that way. That's what the Bible says. We should be Christ-like, because Christ does not play favorites. Now, James takes it even further. You know, there's, there's this discussion, first of all, about being you know impartial to the poor man and how that that is wrong he he then moves forward did you see that in verse 6 and says not only are you treating the poor man badly but in verse 6 says you're being naive toward the rich man you're being naive in verse 6 says you are giving so much attention to the rich based on his looks but don't you understand That's who's oppressing you and dragging you into court. Instead of using their riches to honor God, they're using their riches to dominate you and abuse you. They're letting money equal power. In fact, they're blaspheming God. They're blaspheming Jesus, and you're called in Jesus' name. So he's saying, take a step back. All of us, take a step back and let everyone ask the question, Is the way we treat people, is it incompatible with having Jesus as our Lord? We are to remember that Jesus is the Lord of our lives and we are to be Christ-like, my friends. The second point this morning, partiality is unloving towards others. Look at verses 8 and 9. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin. and are convicted by the law as transgressors. A few moments ago, my brother Hunter stood at this pulpit and read from Matthew 22. The greatest commandments. It's probably a text you've memorized. Jesus has asked, what's the greatest commandments? What does he say? Love the Lord, right? With all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. But the second is like it. What is it? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the summary of the law. James calls it the royal law. Did you hear that? The royal law. Why is it called the royal law? Because the king made the law. King Jesus says love god love your neighbor as yourself and not only is jesus king but he's telling this law to those who live in his kingdom so as part of the kingdom of god we're to hear the royal law from the king love god love your neighbor so james knows the royal law and he's telling us that partiality playing favorites that's the opposite Of loving your neighbor as yourself. Now, why would that be? Why is partiality the opposite, the antithesis of loving your neighbor as yourself? First of all, this partiality involves pride and not humility. When you make these distinctions, you sit here, you sit here for these reasons, what we're saying is, I'm better than you are, I'm better than he is, I'm better than she is. Or he or she is not worth my time. Look at what she's wearing. Did you see how he smelled? It involves pride, not humility. Friends, pride puffs up. It exalts self. Humility, rather, looks to the interest of others. That's what Jesus teaches us in the Word of God. Pride is not Christ-like. But number two, partiality involves selfishness and not selflessness think about this situation rich man poor man if i spent my time talking to the poor man there might not be any anything in it for me i might have to use up a lot of time a lot of my talents a lot of my treasures and i might not get anything in return but if i come over here and talk to this man, you know what? I might get something out of it in the long term. There might be something in it for me. So I'm going to rub shoulders over here based on looks instead of spending any time over here. Friends, that's partiality. The Bible says that's a problem. Because loving your brother does not involve selfishness. It involves selflessness. Philippians teaches us to look to the interest. of of others selfishness is not christ-like jesus even said i did not come into this world to be served but to serve to give my life a ransom for many and what we see here is that partiality is the antithesis of loving your neighbor in fact this text goes so far to say in verse 9 if you show partiality you are what? You're committing sin. It's plain language in black and white. James is just calling it out. You're committing sin. And friends, if we find ourselves to be in sin with a holy God, that calls us to repentance. That calls us to repentance. Reminds us of 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we need to take it to the throne room of God and confess it before a holy God. And we need to remember something. That we stand in need of grace and mercy, just like all of the men in this room. And that when we couldn't do anything about our own situation... Our God sent our Lord Jesus Christ to this earth to live a perfect life and to die on the cross for our sins, to give us grace and mercy, that Christ himself, though he was rich, became poor for our sake. We need to remember the mercy and the grace of God towards us because we're called to live a Christ-like life towards others. Thirdly, Partiality breaks the whole law. Verse ten. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in mm-hmm. one point, has to become accountable for all of it. You know, when James is writing and when Jesus was teaching just a few years earlier, there were several people who made distinctions about the law. You remember this in the Gospels that if you, in the minds of the Pharisees, if you uh, broke the Sabbath, that was a big deal. You remember when Jesus healed on the Sabbath and they thought that was that was a real big deal. But in the Sermon on the Mount, when they talk about truth-telling in the minds of the Pharisees, that wasn't a big deal. You see, for the Pharisees, they would swear by certain things. If they swore by the earth or by Jerusalem, that wasn't a big deal unless you swore by the name of God. That was a big deal. So they would make distinctions. Well, even though they tried to individualize the law of God James here shows you the unity of the law of God, the great unity. Here's what he says. James says, if you break one law, you're guilty of breaking all of them. It's all or nothing, James says in verse 10. Let me tell you another story. This is a story um, that involves... Me, when I was on a mission trip back in uh, 2005, from 1999 to 2014, I was a youth pastor. And I took my youth on a mission trip up to Hayside, Virginia. Anyone ever been to Hayside, Virginia, the rural coal mining area of Virginia? I went up to Hayside, Virginia. We were doing maintenance on a church, and I had my youth downstairs, and I had a group of girls. They were painting the bathroom downstairs. And um, there was one window in the room. But the window was closed. And they said, hey, uh, Pastor Adam, the fumes are getting too much for us to handle in this bathroom. Will you open the window? Now, let me go ahead and preface this as well. I'm not very good at fixing things. (laughs) Like at all. At all. Hey, look, if you have a large, heavy object that needs to be carried from point A to point B, I'm your guy. I can pick things up and carry it and move it. My my shoulders are solid now. They're doing well. Knees being healed up. I can carry the object. But don't ask me to fix something. Now, you say to yourself, well, Pastor Adam, all they ask you to do is open a window. Listen, that's a fix-it thing, whether you believe it or not. It sounds simple, but to me it was a fix-it problem, so it took a lot of skill. So I said, sure, I'll open the window. So sure enough, I went to the window, and in my estimation... All you needed to do was push on the window to make it open. You just push it open. So what did I do? I started pushing on the window, but it wouldn't open. So what was my obvious conclusion? Push harder. Exactly. Push harder. That makes sense. So I took my fist just like this. Took my fist just like this, and I was hoping to tap it. You know, just, just give it a little thump, and the window would pop open. Well, sure enough... I took my hand like this, and I popped it, and buddy, my hand went all the way through it. That window looked just like that. My hand went all the way through the window, and I thought, oh, no, I've broken this window. (sighs) Just trying to open it, I broke it. So I reached out to my friend Bob, and Bob had a lot of mercy on me that day. He was one of the parents of the youth with me on that trip. And Bob went out to the to the window store, the, the the glass store, and he got a new pane for the window. And he came back and he put the new pane in the window. But I have a question for you. When he replaced that window, did he replace just the part that I broke? Or did he replace all of it? He replaced all of it, didn't he? The part I broke and the other part connected to it. Do you know why? Of course you know why. Because if you break one part, you break all parts of a window. You can't just get the glass that you broke and put it back in and tape it together. No, that's not going to work. You break one part, you break it all. And I broke the whole window that day, and Bob had to get a a whole new window pane to put in that, that window. For instance, the same thing with God's law. You break one part, you break it all. There were those here in James who thought, partiality is not a big deal if I play favorites. James says it's such a big deal, you need to understand if you break this one thing, you're guilty of breaking the whole law. And that really teaches us a lot about our relationship with God and how much indebted we are To God. James Kennedy tells another story about an omelet. Think about it this way. Now you're hungry. (laughs) I've lost you completely. My goodness. Man, (laughs) that looks good. Um, I want you to imagine that I fixed you an omelet. And I got four eggs out of the refrigerator to make this omelet. Three of those eggs are good eggs. But the fourth one that I pull out, It's a rotten egg. It's a rotten egg. But I take all four eggs, and I make your omelet with all four eggs. Scramble it up, and I set it in front of you. I have a question. Would you eat that omelet? Would you eat that? I don't think you would. Blair might. (laughs) But the rest of us, we wouldn't. We wouldn't eat that omelet. You know, I, I could make the argument... Did you know that 75% of that omelet is good? Okay, did you know that? Why don't you just cut out a fourth of that omelet, right? And we'll set it over here to the side. And then you can eat the, the remaining 75%. Would that work for you if we did that? Of course not. Of course not. Because if one egg is bad, the whole thing is bad. That's what James is saying. If you break one law, you broke them all. One sin has infiltrated your life, and we are guilty of the, breaking the whole law of God. This should direct every one of us to stop and think are we trying to individualize God's laws by saying we've only erred here, here, and here, and these are small issues? We're fine with God in other ways. Friends, if that's you, read this text because it says if you're guilty of one, you're guilty of it all. The whole window needs to be replaced. The whole omelet needs to be replaced. Everything we are needs to be replaced. But you know what the good news of the gospel is? Jesus Christ came to this world not to partially represent you before God, not to be just half a substitute for you. He came to be your your complete substitute. That Every single sin that you and I have committed is put on Jesus. Breaking all the commands which we do in this life, all that was put on Jesus. And by his mercy and his grace, he takes our sin. You see, Jesus did something that you and I can't do. He was perfect. He did everything right. But all the imperfection that you and I have was put on him and he died with it defeating it removing it as far as the east is from the west and when he rose again he conquered it and he says to you and to me you can have all your sin forgiven not because of what you do we're ranking your sin one two three four this is worse than that or whatever you can have your sin forgiven by trusting in what christ has done for you and being forgiven of your sin by grace through faith in him we need to remember what christ has done for us to the blood of of Jesus Christ, And then finally, brothers and sisters, partiality is unmerciful. Look at verse 13. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. Friends, we have already learned today that to live a life of partiality is to live a life of selfishness. And to live a life of selfishness is to live a life that is void of love. And if we live a life where we do not love our neighbor as ourselves, the Bible says that is a merciless life. And what this text is communicating to us is this. A life without mercy isn't a Christ-like life. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. According to Jesus, the true mark of any believer, the mark of a Christ-like life, is mercy. Verse 4 of this same chapter clearly teaches us that those who show partiality, they are people who are judges with evil thoughts. However, that is not the way Christ taught us to live. Today, we learn mercy triumphs over judgment. The good Samaritan had to get down on his hands and knees to minister and have mercy on someone he didn't know. Someone who was beat up. He had beyond shabby clothes. He was beat up how had blood all over him. And he had to get down on his hands and knees and help restore this man's life to dignity. And take care of him. That's the picture of mercy. Mercy is what a Christ-like life looks like. So friends, as we close this morning, as we're reminded to put on the mind of Christ. As we're reminded to be conformed to the image of Christ, as we're reminded to be Christ like, let us ask these questions. First of all, do we realize that partiality is incompatible with the lordship of Christ? That partiality and the lordship of Jesus are two things that are so opposed in character that they are incapable of existing and functioning together. Do we realize that? Secondly, are we truly loving our neighbor as ourselves? Or do we put things like pride or selfishness, you know, or what is this going to do for me as opposed to what is this going to do for me before helping others? Do we realize that when we break one part of God's law, we break it all? The whole window has to be replaced. The whole omelet has to be thrown away. But the good news is that Christ fulfilled the whole law for you and for me. Every jot, every tittle, Christ fulfilled. And by His grace, He offers to you the forgiveness of sins, His salvation. And He says, as Lord of your life, I'm going to teach you to remember mercy. And that mercy triumphs over judgment. For mercy is what a Christ-like life looks like. Pray with me, please. Lord, we come to you in Jesus' name. We thank you for this text. We thank you of the, the truth of it, Father. The boldness with which James writes, the clarity with which he explains these things. It reminds us so much of our need for grace and mercy in our own life. It reminds us of the mercy that you first showed us in Christ. Lord, how can we, who have been given so much mercy, who have been given so much grace, not show that same mercy and grace to others? Help us to never, ever play favorites, but to love you and to love others as you have taught us to. Lord Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.